Broadcasting live from the Subaru of Gwinnett Studios in Atlanta, it's time for On the Money. Presented by Embassy National Bank. Now, here's your host, Joe Moss. Hi, everybody. Welcome to a new installment of On the Money. This is Joe Moss, your moderator, and I'm president over at Embassy National Bank. And this show is brought to you by Embassy National Bank. And as you know, we try to talk about topics that will help the small business owner run their business better and more profitably. Um, I know our producer, Mike Salmon, doesn't like me talking about kind of where we are in time of season, but I will just tell you on the way over here, it was 98 degrees outside. Unbelievable. So it's hot. It's hot. Uh, but we're in the cool studios at uh, Subaru of Gwinnett, Business Radio X. And uh, thank you so much at Subaru for um, for letting us do this and um that's a very nice, comfortable studio we get to broadcast out of every every week. So uh, a good show today. I think it's going to be very thought-provoking for the small business owner, but also we're going to get a little, a little bit about the banker as well, but uh, focus more on the small business owner. But we have Mr. Charles Green of Small Business Finance Institute in the studio today. Hey, Charles, how hey, are you? Great, Joe. How are you doing? Good. And... Um, uh, Charles is doing a lot of work uh, uh, in terms of helping uh, bankers being better lenders of money first, but um, he's also d- has been doing a lot of data gathering and uh, and research, et cetera, of this whole um, uh, new industry that has literally popped up almost overnight uh, in what we call alternative lending. Um, or as a um, an article of mine says, alternative lender, marketplace lender, online lender, choose your nomenclature. Um, so it is a huge industry that has developed, and uh, and and Charles is a real expert on this whole thing. We're going to talk about that. Um, but Charles, tell us what's been going on. You've been on the show before, but uh, what what have you been working on at Small Business Finance Institute? We've been very busy with a lot of uh, aggregating a lot of bankers who've been writing content for the production of videos. We were just releasing a series of about 25 videos that will train bankers from everything from cash flow analysis to uh, underwriting credits, uh, dealing with SBA guaranteed loans, and even uh, helping board directors make better credit decisions. And we're uh, in process of developing uh, our next generation, which will be out in the fall of about another 25 topics. So uh, that's kept us pretty busy in front of a video camera instead of a microphone. And um, you're, but you also have a book out. How's the book going? The book's been out what? I, it came out last August, so it's been out about a year. And uh, I, I'll know in October how well it does. I get uh, two reports a year from. Have you gotten a check yet? I got a very small check to start <laughs> well, off with, yeah. There you go. Um, but one of the things you've been really uh, tracking in addition to credit training, I guess you call it fintech. Right. So right. what is fintech? Fintech, uh, that's the, the name the industry sort of has settled on. It's the financial technology industry where private investors are delivering capital to small businesses and consumers through online platforms. They can aggregate uh, the information needed for an application, go into the cloud, and get all kinds of verification and additional data, 
and come back into their algorithm-driven proprietary models and make a credit decision and then fund that uh, in very short order. They, they like to um, make a decision and put the money out within two or three days. And I heard a, an ad on the radio, and I don't know on some of these serious ads whether it's a real story or not, but the ad says that uh, um, I called them on Friday and I had 50000 in my bank account on Monday. Does that happen like that? It's possible, and of course, that's a, a borrower with no hair on it, uh, which your bank can turn around uh, a credit decision and delivery and closing a lot faster than the typical borrower is able to respond to. But, yeah, I find at the bank we're often in uh, what we call, we do triage lending. Right. Um, and I suspect some of this goes on there within this industry as well, but... Um, a lot of money's going out the door. I just saw some stats. Give us an idea of what the size of this industry is. Well, I'll throw a number out, and then I'll give it some perspective. I was at this conference in New York a couple of weeks ago talking about this industry to several leaders, and uh, the aggregate number most industry insiders agree on is that this channel put out about $9 billion in 2014. What? 2014, $9 billion. $9 billion. But to put that in perspective to the banking industry— uh, that same day as I was about to speak, I got an email on my phone and I opened an article where the uh, New York Times announced that uh, Federal Reserve had come out with seven of the largest banks were going to have to make a new capital call in 2017, and the largest of which was going to be J.P. Morgan Chase, which is going to have to pony up $12.5 billion. billion. So... That just goes to show you it's it's a lot of money, it's a lot of borrowers, but it's still in the big sea of financing. It's still very, very small. Well, all right. Well, within – try to – but the $9 billion is all small business lending. That's a good point. It, it's, it has also grown very quickly because the first one of these fintech companies to ever open up was literally in about 2007. And so from beginning to having as many competitors as they do today with those dollars is very fast growth. In addition, across the industry, the average loan is about $37,000. Wow. What's the largest? Have you heard what the largest is? Some claim to be doing uh, five, six, seven hundred thousand. Okay. Uh, there's a company here called Can Capital who claims to be able to make up to a $2 million advance. But um – so that's mostly so nine billion within small business lending just for 2014, and uh, if you look at compare that say to another good barometer is the seven A program SBA seven A program. What was the 2014 volume for SBA seven A? Do you remember? It was about uh, eighteen billion dollars. Okay, so fifty percent of what SB what mm -hmm. SBA is doing through banks. Right. Okay. And then I saw a um, stat, uh, I don't know whether you author, one of your uh, um, uh, uh, relationships, Bob Coleman, um, with the Coleman Report, um, showed that uh, for, let's see, what does he say, for 2014, SBA guaranteed loans less than 150000 totaled $1.9 billion. Mm -hmm. And then he listed one, two, three, he listed On Deck, Can Capital, Amex Merchant, uh, Cabbage, Yellowstone Capital, all these others. And those all totaled up twice 
what uh, SBA loans under 150000 were. Right. Uh, Bob is citing statistics that were compiled by a publication in New York called Debanked. And they are tracking uh, most of the large players in this marketplace to see who's performing the best and how they compare to each other. Recognize that uh, that comparison highlights some of the big challenges with SBA loans under $150,000 because, as you know, it costs a bank the same amount of time and money to underwrite a $50,000 loan as it does a $5 million loan. Customer walks in bank, sits in front of loan officers, has to copy all this stuff. Analyst has to spread it all out. Loan committee has to think about it. A fintech lender can take that and aggregate it and make a decision over a much narrower set of data and do make that decision literally 10 minutes after the borrower pressed send. So the, they're two different businesses, but that highlights, you know, that their speed in delivering capital is really very suitable for these smaller borrowers uh, who banks and other lenders are just having a hard time with justifying spending the effort for a relative low payout. And I can see that. We talk about that every day at the bank, how it, it just doesn't make even a lot of sense to, to try to make a loan for less than $250,000. Um, now, when, let's walk through the process. Let's say I'm a small business owner and, and I need 100000 and I call up one of these people. I guess I go to a website or I make a call or either one, correct? You, you go to a website. Uh, but amazingly, and what was not in the business plan of this whole industry, is that uh, the largest set of volume comes to them from loan brokers. And Makes remembering sense. after the housing bubble, there were all of a sudden a lot of unemployed mortgage brokers who uh, now they're business loan brokers didn't do such a great job uh, originating housing loans are now originating business loans. And um, so the what information are they going to gather from you? Most of them will get about 40 to 50 data points. And Charles H. Green, Atlanta, Georgia, there's five data points. So that's, you know, almost 15% of what they're going to require. But the information you put in their website is essentially what confirms and declares who you are. It gives them enough information where they can validate, yes, this is Joe Moss. We know that he lives there, and that it's confirmed with the Credit Bureau report. Maybe it's confirmed with the Social Security Administration. Maybe it's confirmed with the local police department or Chamber of Commerce. Their decision, though, is going to be driven off of your – if you accept credit cards in your business, they're going to want to see 12 months of your credit card statements, which you can email them or upload them in a PDF, and 6 to 12 months of your bank statements – and it's with those metrics of those financial statements are really where they're making their credit decision. Are they pulling credit on you, the individual? They pull credit. They often will pull three or four different credit scores and use them in different ways within their algorithm. And then they probably – what are some of the other things they access to evaluate you as a business? Many things are driven by uh, economic data, and, and so there are a lot of credit – uh, providers out there who give different kinds of analysis based on situational requests. So if I'm in Lawrenceville, Georgia, and I'm running a restaurant, what's pertinent there is the restaurant industry, 
the uh, street that I'm on and what kind of access it got it has and, and whether or not the Georgia DOT has that road shut down for the next six months. Uh, they're going to go to the Department of Health and see uh, when was the last time this business was inspected and did it get a 99 per score or did it get a 49 score? Uh, they're going to look and make sure that the business license has been paid up current for this year. They're going to check with the Secretary of State to make sure that this is a valid corporation and it doesn't, you know, hasn't elapsed. Um, these are just some of the kinds of data that they bring into their model, which is due diligence, as you would know. And right. that last example, we might not check that until we're ready to close. Sure. But these all go into how well someone manages their business, uh, whether they are actually in business, and how they are performing as a manager. And um, you mentioned uh, Yelp. They also will look at Yelp, any kind of uh, social media that may be out there. Right. If you're a particularly a food service or retail business, Yelp tracks those kinds of companies and gives consumers the chance to grade them. So I go have dinner at the Thai restaurant. I could go on to Yelp and say it was a wonderful meal. Now, if my rating them contributes to a very high rating in Yelp, uh, that's going to be very positive for that loan decision. But if Yelp is telling the world, this is a lousy restaurant, don't waste your time visiting there, that's going to degrade their credit possibility because the uh, credit provider is going to be concerned that they can't get enough audience to create the revenue to pay off the loan. Uh, this is On the Money, brought to you by Embassy National Bank. I'm Joe Moss, and we're interviewing today uh, Charles Green, um, who who is the founder and director of Small Business Finance Institute. And um, he does a lot of work with lending for banks and helping us all become better lenders. But more importantly, um, he's done a lot of research and uh, review of the alternative lending industry that has popped up, what they call FITEC. And um, so we're getting his insight on um, all these uh, uh, online lenders that have popped up. So far, it's an interesting conversation. So if I apply as a business owner, I'm only going to send a handful of pieces of data, but they're going to be able to check a lot of different things. There's a lot of public data that's stored around the world about all of us, and we feed into that. When you um, get a, a Facebook account, uh, you might give them a little bit of information or you might give them a lot of information. And they love these young people that post 15 photographs a day and put birthdays in and tell who all their best friends are and where they've been to have dinner and where they're going on vacation. And they, uh, you know, see all these commercials like uh, a, a political message or a uh, praise God message or any number of different kinds of social and cultural messages, and they'll like it. So Facebook aggregates all of this data, and they know Joe Moss, whether you're a Republican or Democrat or Independent, who you voted for likely in the last election, what charities you support. Uh, and they get a lot of personality traits based on how you answer and respond to those in your show, social network. And if I'm a business owner, they're going to look at me personally as well. Yes. Because they're going to make the loan to the business, but they're going to obviously going to make me guarantee it, I would think. So they want to know about me as well, the owner. Yes, and of course, in your role as a bank president, you clearly understand that a small business is essentially an extension of a private investor who is building and buying his own company to run. 
and you're not going to be content with letting that corporation be the sole source of credit. You're going to require that business owner to guarantee and back up. Nowhere is that more important than the smaller segment of loans less than $150,000, which are the highest risk, those that are closest uh, to failure from the standpoint that they have a thinner management team, they have fewer employees, they have fewer clients, and, and they don't have as much capital. So they represent a much larger risk. And in that case, you are you know, underwriting them more carefully and you're requiring that personal guarantee. Now, in the fintech space, one big difference that offsets a lot of this risk that you aren't applying is the cost of funds. And that's gotten a lot of press, but and, and sometimes not so far. What fairly. are the expected returns of the investor into these things? Well, that's different than maybe what the, the borrower is going to pay. But right, there, right. There's yeah. different layers. But let's just say um, you may get an offer that's going to be uh, 115 lease rate. Okay. Or a, a 120 rollover rate, advance rate. So what does that mean? Well, that's 120, that sounds like 20%. So if, if I'm going to borrow $1,000 and I have to pay back $1,200, I can afford that. That's not such a bad thing because it's high risk and everything. But what misses the point is how they're recapturing your payment. And they're recapturing your, your payment by uh, going to your credit card processor and saying uh, they've already seen your statements and they know that on average your business is bringing in, say, $50,000 a month, and that may be broken down into a number per day. And they're going to decide, okay, we're going to take 16% of that credit card revenue, and that's going to be our payment. So the more you sell, the larger the payment is. But if sales fall off a few weeks, that's okay. Our payment comes down. And by the way, an aside to the banking industry is that money is coming directly to them from the processor. It doesn't go into the bank. Yeah, I wanted to get into that a little bit because you sign over a, a, a daily ACH authorization, correct? Yes. So they have the ability. Now, does the, does the credit card merchant processor, before they deposit the money in that business's account, will they send that piece so they they have been authorized to send that piece to the the to the to the lender. Recognize that the the lender has a very cozy relationship with that merchant processor and an intercreditor agreement that's signed. And one of the documents you'll sign as a borrower says, "Yes, you can direct whoever you want my merchant processor to be. I'll go to use your merchant processor." So you're cutting off the bank who may have sold you that crop processor and, and so what does that say about my uc ucc lien on all the cash flow kind of goes out the window doesn't there it there are some folks that say it's a tortuous interference of business <laughs> in layman terms what do you what do you mean <laughs> it means they're they're stepping into your agreement and disassociating it from your customer and you and they get the money first and so if your sba loan to that business for the the building and the equipment were to go into default and you're not getting your monthly payments, they're still getting the daily amount that's coming direct from the credit card processor. They're that, getting paid. That in all rights should be coming to you first. Now, if a small business owner were to file bankruptcy, does that stop or does it just keep on? The small business owner in, in, uh, can just go to a different processor and sign up and cut off the MCA, the Merchant Cash Advance Lender. Okay. Uh, and And – What's really happening in the industry right now of great concern is you have a second lender coming in 
making a new advance and switching it for them, and sometimes a third time, which they're getting to a lot of dogfights over that. Um, it's all getting uh, complicated for the small business owner. Um, what? So his effective cost, his or her effective cost of borrowing is likely to be what? Can you give a range? Yes, they are intending it. to. When you think that 1.2 is a 20%, it's actually more of about a 35% effective cost if the relationship were to go out for one year. It actually comes back much faster. Their typical intention is to be repaid over about a seven-month period. So it's kind of like factoring, isn't it? You're factoring out your merchant credit card. Yeah, yeah. and you're paying around, you know, generally somewhere between 40 and 60% APR. Mm-hmm. And is there a setup fee? Could be. Could be a, an origination fee, certainly a default fee. And usury doesn't – does this fall under usury? It's not a in, – in their language, and they will stress this. The, the, the note that I've seen in this – or excuse me, not a note. It is not a note. It, they'll make sure you do not define it as a note. But the agreement I'll share with you sometime goes to great pains to say this is not a loan. You do personally guarantee our advance, but we are buying a future portion of your revenue stream. So it's like a factoring right. relationship. But if you read into their rights under a default, it would embarrass you as a lender how far they go. And I've seen one – I don't have a copy of I've seen one from a New York lender that actually you would sign a default judgment in your closing documents that just says, I'm guilty. So if they ever decide to sue you, you've already declared you win. Well, let's let's move beyond whether that's ever been contested in court. I want to ask this question: Has the loss rate have they zeroed in on what the what the typical loss rate is with within these funds? Most that talk about it are generalize around five to six percent. That's actually a lot lower than I would think it would be. Now, why was why is that? They're getting pretty good at the at the ability to make better decisions going in, and they are a collection agency on the back end. I mean, when, when you have a past due loan, you know, they've missed the payment that's been due for 30 days. You know, payment's due on the first of the month, and, and how fast do you call them? Do you call them on the second? No, because the check may be in the mail, or they may be coming by the bank Friday. Do you call them on the 15th? Maybe. It, you know, if you had your druthers, your folks would be calling on the 15th, but certainly by the 30th day, you're going to be calling. In this world, uh, with the automation tools and a built-in collection apparatus in-house, when it's one day past due, they're going to send an email. Hey, what? You okay? Mm -hmm. Everything all right? Uh, on three days, though, they go into full collection mode, which would be like 90 days past due for you. It's three days for them. Well, I know of a subprime auto lender here in town that's very, very successful. He'll actually start calling five days before uh, the due date. Right. And just remind you. But he also has a little uh, device on the car that's activated by the Internet that will shut the car off if you don't pay. Kind of a little incentive there. But uh, um, So we've got about a 5% loss rate. We've got about a 35% yield. There's some cost involved. So um, the net yield back to one of these investors is what? About 20%. About 20%. So some of these hedge funds are trying to get about 20% on their money. Uh, you're going to end up paying about 35 to 40 and uh, there'll be an operational spread, a loss spread, and so the investors will be making about 20 Yeah, and interestingly, the fintech 
folks aren't making any money yet. They, they've had to pour all their money into the development of this. But the software is expensive. Right. And they have to write it down over three years. Well, it's, and it's got to be changing every day. Well, their metrics, you know, that they do grade their own portfolio and they, they're tinkering with it constantly. And in the digital world, you try to get into business as fast as you can and then make it look nice and feel good and have a better experience next time. So they're constantly pouring more money into that. This industry as a whole did not expect to have to pay loan brokers. And there's a whole new source of revenue, uh, of cost that may mean that borrower is going to pay 45% all in because the broker may add 10 points to it as well. Um, do you have examples of maybe some concrete examples, no name basically, obviously, of some businesses that you know have taken advantage of this and what their experience, what type of business it was? From a financial standpoint, where were they? Uh, was it worth their while? Do you have some real-life examples? I've seen that, but it may be easier to talk about examples of it. So think about of a restaurant. Now, a restaurant in, in leased premises who needs $40,000 to build out a outdoor seating area in their premises, uh, maybe in February or March for the spring and summer, is looking at an opportunity to create maybe – 25 or 30 percent more capacity in their restaurant and a bank's going to run and hide on that we're deal. not going to touch it because it's unsecured it's working capital it's, it's a restaurant <laughs> that's a perfect kind of deal for this world because the the spending that money will instantly boost revenues in the business and if the business owner knows what their profitability is that 45 percent cost really won't mean anything because it'll be gone in six to seven eight months and they'll have that outdoor seating area for five or six years. So they'll easily make that money back, and, and it's a good investment. Where it's bad is when uh, some seasonal change, somebody got sick, and I can't make payroll this Friday. Maybe me, my Yelp ratings are so bad, I'm, I'm business is slowing down, and I can't make payroll. So this is some quick, hot money I can get my hands on and, and worry about the bigger issues next week but well, if you can't make payroll you get on the phone and you get another one of these things and that's where you get into the creditor fights about who gets what while you go out of business right because they're snatching as much of your cash as they can get their hands off um you're listening to on the money brought to you by embassy national bank this is joe moss and we're having a good conversation with charles green on uh, alternative lending for the small business owner uh, he's the uh, president and founder of small business finance institute um so if I'm a small business lender, I'm starting to get in trouble. I start to tick down my – go down my alternatives. I would suggest that this is probably one of the last sources that I would want to go for. Again, it depends on the situation. And the positive one I just talked about, the outdoor seating for the restaurant, it's actually a very good solution for that. Uh, too bad that the industry isn't uh, disciplined enough so that when those folks come up who are – um, going to go out of business sometime, and, and they just help accelerate that. I will tell you one thing as a banker that's a paradigm shift in this industry as a whole, and this is general, not specific to any particular lender, but they underwrite this with a different frame of mind. You or I sitting at a bank is going to look at the totality of a business operation and say, okay, they have these debts, one, two, three. They have this overhead requirement every month, the rent and the payroll. 
and now they want to borrow more money from me, so that's going to add another payment stream. Now, that's going to hopefully boost their revenue, but will they be able to pay all of their debts when I make this loan? And that's how we're making decisions. When the credit card processor is able to stream the money directly from revenue to me to pay that 16% a day, I don't care if they can pay their rent. I care can they pay me. And are their sales going to be enough right. and, and to be able to send me my piece? And just remember, whereas you're waiting for months for your principal balance to really come down in a measurable way, these folks, if they get through three weeks, they've had a measurable amount of their principal repaid. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the interesting uh, revelations of this investor uh, who was speaking at this conference was that he, he can be on the phone negotiating to buy a portfolio of loans, and he says his book of, of investment loans has already dropped 1%. You know, Every day, it's measurably ticking down the balance because of that's how fast this money turns over. Um, let's, all right, so I reach out and I borrow this money. Do you think – where's this industry going? Do you think it's going to continue to grow? Has it been tested? Um, is it yet to be tested? It's, it's coming to you because, as I stated, they started with the low-hanging fruit. The, the, the deals that banks did not want to touch aren't going to touch today and, and never have really looked at just because of structurally we couldn't because of the risk. And, and to your listeners, I want to remind, banks don't take these large risks because they're lending your money. Right. These are federally insured dollars, and they're a lot cheaper but they are more qualified because we, we can't do a 5% loss rate. We've got to have less than 1% and aim for less than one-tenth of 1%. I just wanted to ask, tell you, point that out. Um, I knew, and it's one of the things that I wanted to talk with you about. I told our shareholders and our directors at our shareholder meeting about three months ago that we have to be right 99% of the time, and um, which is a little bit different than, than other folks. But I think it, but one thing this whole thing is has kind of – uh, interests me about is the fact that they've developed a whole new way of underwriting. Yes, uh, We look at a credit score, we look at tax returns, we look at financial statements, we interview the borrower, we make a site visit. That's our credit decision. This is a completely different credit process that they're going through, all based on looking and, and evaluating and scoring available information that's just out there from a ton of different sources. Right. And I think where they're going from here is they're going to start climbing up that tree, up that food chain. And there's a a new startup in San Francisco called Apple Pie Capital, and they only lend to franchise businesses and not every franchise business. But they target and underwrite the brands that are most likely to be good bets, and they go after the large multi-holders, large multi-franchise holders, and they are trying to provide financing to them, gathered from private investors. Uh, There are real estate loans going on peer-to-peer. Peer-to-peer is where uh, we can all sign up on LendingClub.com and participate in any number of business or personal loans. There was a construction loan funded in Atlanta uh, in the spring of this year for a commercial piece of real estate. Now, what that means is I can be an investor in real estate without coming up with $200,000. And I'm doing that a peer, a, an individual that's investing in a business, correct? Yes. All right. And um, as long as you invest, as long as someone is in a business borrowing money and an investor is lending to a business, 
all this compliance stuff that's going on out there does not does not count. We don't have to follow that, except for the usury law. Is that correct? Well, actually, with a peer-to-peer lending platform, they have to conform with security laws, with the SEC. So they may be making a $1,000 participation into this loan, but outside of a bank, that loan is a security. So the platform is having to report that to the SEC. All right. What can a small business owner take away from this? Um, Legitimate funding source, uh, buyer beware. It's going to be expensive. But um, if you go in it with your eyes open, realizing you're going to have to pay the money back, this could be a good alternative for somebody. Well, when I'm on the soapbox preaching, I tell business owners, first of all, understand the financial side of your business. If you don't understand your financial statement and you're not doing one at least quarterly, then you don't really know where that boat's going that you're driving. Uh, it's not sufficient to look at your, your annual tax return and think you understand how well your business Or performs. just look at your checking account. Right. I've got money in the bank, so I must be profitable, right? right? Uh, and so that to say, if you understand how profitable you are or aren't, the more profitable you are, the more likely you can get better terms, and perhaps with a bank, to borrow money more affordably. These online lenders represent an excellent opportunity to get funding for companies who are less profitable, who are closer to startup, who may not, you know, maybe a service business rather than an asset-laden business and, and wouldn't have collateral to post. But use them as a vehicle to get yourself more profitable and work your way up the food chain to less expensive capital. But do your business plan, do your profit planning, make sure because you're going to have to pay this back. Right. It's going to be expensive. It might be the right way to go, but Make sure you've planned accordingly and you know what you're doing before you pick up the phone. And understand what the cost really is. And if, if they use some word other than APR, annual percentage rate, get them to break it down for you in dollars and cents. If I borrow $100,000 and I pay it back as fast as we both expect it to be paid back, what's that borrowing cost really going to be? And then if if you know if it's 36% don't stop there that 36% may be in 7 months annualize that number and then ask yourself do i am i willing to pay an 84% interest for this loan for 7 months and what happens if i go in default what happens to my rate what happens if things go bad you mean read the contract <laughs> gee right well, I just feel, you know, there there are some folks out there who are small business owners that get so into their business, they feel like they just have to go borrow some money to get this right. And just be careful. I mean, just like anything else, just got to be so careful. Um, and I guess the other thing a small business owner ought to know is they're going to be looking at everything. Right. So, uh, you know, monitor what people are saying about you because they're going to be they're going to see it. You know, keep your documents accurate. Uh, uh, keep them up to date. Uh, keep your your corporation papers up to date with the state. Monitor your social media activity because it's going to it's it's all theirs at that point. Being in business is not easy. And, and there are many millions of people out there who are passionate about what they like to do. They like to cook and serve food. They like to take care of your kids. They like to repair your automobile. But that doesn't relieve them of the obligation to track their metrics, both for their own self-information about whether they're making money, whether they're successful or not, as well as tax reporting. 
if they want to get capital from a third party, they've got to be able to show those results. It's a pain in the rear to have to register with the Secretary of State every year to buy a business license, to go through a lot of different kinds of registration depending on different industries. But that's the life you've chosen when you decide to get into business, and so you need to live up to that standard. Right. Um, we don't have a lot of time left, but what can the banker take away from all this that's going on? Maybe that's a whole other subject, but maybe a couple of things that the, the banker can take away from this whole thing. The discovery uh, of different things in this fintech area are very promising for the banking industry. Number one is technology can be your friend. It's not just about moving money around. If you think about it, we spent all this money over the years on the liability side of the bank, moving money, protecting money, digitizing money. You know, there's only one Fed Reserve Bank that accepts paper checks anymore. Uh, we can convert all that. We have remote deposit capture. We have ATMs that take cash. We have smart cards. And on the loan side, which is the asset side of the bank, we've got Excel spreadsheets. Mm -hmm. Well, this is a new day where we and should loan be. And committees and having to talk about the deal 14 times. And, <laughs> and ask silly questions. Right. And, and the digital world is upon us. So if we can transact business and, you know, Amazon can do a gazillion dollars of sales, then we can let, you know, build a platform that's safe for an applicant to put their information online. We can sync up with SageWorks or with Quicken to get their financial statements mapped to our platform automatically, as well as their tax turns out of TurboTax. We can send it to the IRS and have it confirmed through the Internet. We can look at a number of different scoring models and invest the time and effort to really build our box to, to how do, what do we really want. So what that means is we can pre-qualify or screen somebody so much faster that we're not spending all of that time. There's also an opportunity where there a lot of these uh, sources, you can go in there and be the buyer. You, you can make small business loans now by buying buckets of, you know, think of $5,000 across 60 different loans today. That might be the better way to do it as a banker. Well, I will tell you this, and, and I'll save this for the end as kind of an advertisement for Embassy National Bank. But as of today, we just closed a loan, an SBA loan, from receipt of the signed contract on the property to closing the loan in 35 days. You're ahead of 99% of the peers. I know we are, and we keep we we measure that metric, and uh, we measure the the movement every step along the way. And um, I think more bankers need to do that. By the way, is to really look at the efficiency of things and use technology as best they can. Um, well, Charles, we're at the end. Uh, give us some concluding thoughts. You're a bright man. Well, the world's changing, and, and uh, along with uh, the neat things we can do through social media and through e-commerce, now we're, we can do it with capital. And the movement of money is always going to go to the easiest and, and most direct source. Uh, there's a lot of opportunity out there because of that, and, and I would just encourage um, small business listeners to uh, be thoughtful about where you access your capital. You should be playing every source that's possibly available. Uh, you know, just because somebody may be satisfying your capital needs in 10 minutes over the Internet doesn't mean they don't need a good banking relationship because you want to graduate up to that banking relationship and be financed with your own capital and with bank capital as your business grows and prospers. Good thoughts. And at the same time, us 
uh, we as bankers need to be a lot more efficient in how we handle these customers so that maybe, maybe at some point they can get away from the high-cost lenders faster than what they thought. Right. Well, thanks, Charles. It's been really good today, and I appreciate your time as always. Um, uh, you know, we'll, we'll have a lot of information on Charles out on the on the money dot businessradiox.com website uh, that you can look at and and get some real good um, uh, points and guidance from with with charles but uh, that's the show for today Uh, this has been on the money we are the number one small business show on the business radio network radio x network Uh, we are presented by embassy national bank uh, you can follow us on Twitter at on underscore the underscore money at, and then you add the number one at the end, a little cumbersome, but that's Twitter. Uh, but also, I guess the most important thing is our website has all of our archives on it now going back, uh, gosh, 18 months? Uh, com. We're also out there on iTunes. You can download us there. And uh, until next time, I'm Joe Moss with Embassy National Bank. Um, wherever you are in the, in, the, in the world or country, try to stay cool because it's 98 degrees here. Uh, but just be smart. Be careful. There are a lot of ways to get money, but it may not be the best way. So just, uh, as we always say, be careful out there and leave fear in the back seat. So until next time, thank you very much.